Happy 420 AM. Welcome to the Stoned Witches Hour. <laughs> I'm pretty stoned today. Is that a problem? <laughs> what episode is this, Shell? 13? Is this Holy 13? Cow. Are we lucky? Maybe that's why we're all kind of funko today. Maybe. It's 13. It's, actually, this is episode 12. Is it? This will be episode 12. Okay. Well, dun, dun, dun. It's witchcraft. <laughs> Welcome to the Stoned Witches Hour. I'm Layla, here with my co-host slash bestie Shell. On this podcast, we smoke weed and scare the crap out of each other with stories of true crime and the supernatural. We also keep in touch about our witchy ways now that we live on opposite coasts. Shell in the very witchy Salem, Massachusetts, and me in Southern California, mere minutes from the City of Angels. Join us on our quest to find the creepiest tales in the USA and the stoniest weed from coast to coast. So I'm Shell, and, and, and I'm representing the East Coast, I think. <laughs> We, uh, we had a, a fun night last night with uh, story time with Mike and Tom. Tom and Mike. Story time with Tom and Mike. Mike and Tom, Tom and Mike. It was a story time. We had a blast. Fun guys. They, they were so much fun. You know, they were like the male version of us. I couldn't early. believe how easy it was to talk to them. I've heard their podcast before and the guys are hilarious. Insightful. They really are. I love it. When I sit down and listen to them, it's like I'm hanging out with old friends and Absolutely. laughing the whole time. <laughs> no, we had we had a great time. We had a great time. I hope they had a great time. If they didn't, don't tell us. Pretend that you did, please. <laughs> <laughs> Just lie to us. We're happy with Just that. Just lie to us. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't wait to talk to them again. And we're going to have Tom here on our show on episode 13, coming out March 30th. Talk about some ghost stories, some personal ghost stories that he has. Yeah, that'll be fun. Um, actually, I'm super excited because Tom will be our first guest. How cool is Yay! that? Love it. Love it. And I couldn't ask for a nicer person to be our first guest. Absolutely. absolutely. And he's got some creepy stories. I can't wait to hear it. Well, you know, you can't go wrong with someone who is from the home of Turkey Hill Ice Tea. I love this stuff more than life. It is like the fluid of the gods. Tom and Mike are from the home of Turkey Hill. So how can you go wrong with that? Aw, so more points. And Mike embroiders by hand. So he already had some hot points. Now we find out he lives in the home of the Turkey best Hill tea, tea, Turkey right? Hill tea. So, all right. So this, this chugs for you, Tom and Mike. Yeah, thanks, guys. Which I feel bad because I totally forgot to tell him about my whole Turkey Hill thing. Uh, we'll have to tell him next time we see them. Next time we're on their podcast, for sure. You know, this week has been crazy, not the least because of what's going on in the world. And I know we're not exactly that kind of podcast, but you have to be living under a fucking rock. Maybe the one that broke and released all the demons. For real. Oh, my God. I read that. And I was like, when, when stuff like that starts to happen, shit's about to get real, people. Right? I saw that demon rock thing, that Japanese killing stone that was supposed to have contain an evil fox spirit yeah that broke now now what what's the deal this was like what a couple a couple thousand years ago this fox succubus type entity 
was wreaking havoc and, and killing all across the land with its demonic pleasures and then got like what encompassed into this stone for all of eternity is that kind of the gist of it so the legend goes it's called the sesho seki or the killing stone because anyone who touches the stone apparently dies it's supposed to be the corpse of a beautiful woman who is actually a nine-tailed fox demon called tamamo no mei the stone's located in the tochigi prefecture near tokyo Legend has it that a couple was walking along, minding their own business in the forest, when they came upon a baby lying on the ground. They took the baby in because really, what are you going to do? Leave a baby on the ground? (laughs) They named her Tamamo no Mei, and they raised her as their own child. As she grew, the family realized that their adopted daughter was exceptional in every way. She was extremely bright, well-spoken, beautiful, and she was even chosen to read poetry before the emperor. The emperor took her into his household as a servant, and she grew into a beautiful and knowledgeable young woman. Everyone thought she was the best at everything. She was the most beautiful, the most well-dressed, the best mannered. She could even answer the most difficult questions any court scholar could come up with. She caught the eyes of everyone, including the pervy elderly emperor who decided to make her his consort. They seemed to be happy until the emperor suddenly became ill. As he grew sicker and sicker, Tamamo no Mei seemed unbothered. She didn't care. They brought in doctor after doctor to no avail. The court brought in a sorcerer who said that the emperor was sick because of an evil spirit. The court scholars then brought in priests from all across the land to pray for the emperor's health, but nothing worked. He just continued to get sick. The sorcerer came back and performed another spell. He then determined that it was actually a demon that was causing the emperor's sickness. And that demon was none other than Tamamo no Mei. The sorcerer did another spell to reveal her, and she appeared as the nine-tailed fox spirit. Oh, wow. And it was discovered that she had been sucking the life out of the emperor, and that was what was causing his illness. All the warriors tried to kill her, and she fled the palace. Legend says that she was taken down by an arrow to the throat, and that her body turned to stone. That stone became the Seshoseki, and anyone who touches it dies. Oh, shit. Another ending to the legend is a little bit more hopeful. It says that many many years later, a monk came to the stone to hear her side of the story. Tamamo no Mei told him that she had been cursed as a baby, and that was why she had been abandoned. But she loved her parents and was growing up kind and strong and beautiful with a good spirit, despite the curse. However, her father had been falsely accused and thrown in jail by the emperor. And that caused her to give in to the demon within because of the revenge that filled her spirit. She promised to the monk to never hurt another human, and he released her spirit from the stone. And since then, no one was killed if they touched it. So that's what I heard. What does the fox say? (laughs) I couldn't help myself. (laughs) And it also, um, from what I read, it, it seemed for almost like a visual peace of mind there were leather straps around the stone as well almost kind of like symbolically holding the demon in the rock like what the fuck happened because this shit just cracked overnight and it's broken yeah they were saying there were signs in february that it was starting to break and the straps had given way as well now you could say that time weather you know, just the natural course of, of time happening. You know, I am not very well versed in, in the climate in Japan, 
but I would imagine, you know, you get a little crack, some, some water gets in there, gets icy, expands, you know, and that happens over hundreds of years. Okay. I can see the rack, the rack will crack open. These are some superstitious times we live in and coincidences. I, I, it's just, I don't believe in coincidences so much. And this is kind of a spooky coincidence. Why now? Betty White, the last golden girl holding closed the demonic gate. She dies. Now this rock that's holding a demon down, it breaks. Yeah. So you'd have to be living under that rock to not know what's going on in Ukraine right now. And, you know, if, if I would, if I was a, a, a Christian leaning person, I would, I would start to be looking for the four horsemen at this point. Everyone is afraid right now. Things are pretty scary and, there's a lot of stuff going on and, and, and some of it has, has signs and no matter what your religious belief is or what your faith is, there's things going on right now. When you add the coincidence of, say, this demon rock bursting open and this fox demon succubus being unleashed, coincidentally, at the same time, shit's going down in, in Europe. It, it, it's just these coincidences kind of way heavy. You know, I kind of joke about the whole apocalyptic thing, but you know, no matter what your belief system is, there's signs and read the news it's there and it's frightening. And we don't try to take a political or a a deep, heavy turn on anything here. But when you are a, a magical spiritual type person, you're seeing signs separate and apart from what the news is spewing to you. And then you add the spew from the news I don't know. It, 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 it's, it's unsettling, but that kind of, that kind of leads us into, you know, maybe something that is more, more our jam. There's some magic going on in the Ukraine. There is. And the strength and the resiliency of the people has been astounding to see. And at the end of our podcast, if you look in the show notes, we will definitely have um, some vetted places where you can donate uh, if you want to give some help to the refugees or the people in Ukraine. We've all heard the stories of some of the absolutely amazing courage and bravery that these people have in defending their homeland against this. You know, everyone heard about the the warship, you know, the Ukrainian soldiers on Snake Island. Fuck you, Russian warship. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's that's kind of become a rallying cry. And on a on a pagan level, on a witchy level, some of the the pagan and the folklore and the the witchy curses that have been coming out have been beautiful and heartening to see. The Ukrainian woman that went up to the soldier, there's even video of her that you can find where she goes up to the soldier and basically tells him, fuck you, why are you here? And then tells him to put these sunflower seeds in his pockets so that at least his useless body will grow sunflowers in her land after he dies. She cursed him. She cursed that, that, that man. Yeah. She even told him from this moment, you are cursed. I'm telling you, this woman gave zero fucks. She was like, here you go, asshole. Take these seeds. So at least your body will provide nourishment to our national flower when you die. You know, if, if, if you strip away the whole war and what's going on right now from that, I love the fact that in the year 2022, there is someone somewhere still cursing a motherfucker who has done her wrong. Right. That, that warms my heart and call me sick and twisted, but I appreciate the fact that 
witchcraft and magic is still happening all day, every day, all across the world. I love that. You know, they might not want to call it that, but witchcraft and magic is happening all day, every day. And I love it. And I know that's going to be the focus of your story later. We're going to talk about folklore and magic that kind of survives right now. Even like you said, we might not necessarily call it magic, but that's still what it is. And I think in Ukraine, like you, you and I both kind of have found out lately, this is, it's alive and well, and it's much more accepted. And there's some, and again, I know you're going to talk about it later. There's some places here in the U.S. where that kind of ingrained folklore magic is just part of the air that we breathe that we don't even necessarily think about. Right, right. But yeah, before we get into that. Before we get into that, let's lighten it back up. And I want to know what you're smoking today. I am smoking some homegrown and a little, also a little bit of some delivery from the gas station. The gas station. You know, I love my guys at the gas station. They were out of shatter. I was They sad. do not sell gas. I just want people to know they don't sell gas there. But they do sell gas. They totally sell gas. <laughs> not, for your, not for your car, though. Right, right, right. <laughs> so we're both right. They do not sell petrol. <laughs> mm-hmm. And a little bit of Georgia pie. Ooh, yummy, yummy. But you know, it doesn't taste like Georgia pie. It doesn't taste like Girl Scout cookies. And that just saddens me. No, it doesn't. The Georgia pie is really tasty, I have to say. It's good stuff. Um, it does have... I would say a sweet taste to it and a very uplifting high for sure. It gives me, um, you know, sometimes you get kind of like that, not couch lock, but kind of vibrating, nice body feeling um, along with a, with a good high. So I would say it's, it's definitely something for when I want to be able to work relaxed, but focused. So you can, you can still function, but in a comfortable manner. Exactly. So it's great for when I'm editing or when I need to be singularly focused on something with ADHD, I tend to get easily distracted and I'm bouncing from one side quest to another, trying to get things done. But uh, sometimes a, a hybrid like this one allows me to stay in the moment, kind of, you know, I feel uplifted. I've got some good music going, but I can really focus on either my research or my editing. And so I, I like it for podcasting and things like when I'm trying to work. I, uh, I, I got some grape diamond today. Oh, that sounds delicious. It is. It, although it does have a purple hue, it does Ooh. in no way, shape or form taste like grape. Oh no. I want this shit to taste like, like the old fashioned, like hubba bubba grape bubble gum. That's my expectation. If it tastes that intense, it's added terpenes, which, you know, as long as they tell you that they added terpenes for flavor, isn't necessarily a bad thing. It doesn't taste like grape though, but it's good. It is purple. And I do love a purple strain. It's pretty. It's pretty. Like I almost feel like I I feel bad lighting it on fire. (laughs) Oh, it's that pretty. I do like growing pretty strains. It's very much a, a head high. I could totally get up and function in like mass clean right now. Sometimes those strains that give you like the head high can be a little bit too much in the head for some people, whether you have anxiety or not. Sometimes it can be a little too head high. Have you noticed any of that here? You know, I do think that that is kind of a person to person, um, case by case, personality to personality. I am am a Gemini, both of me. (laughs) (laughs) so I can kind of be all over the place and function properly just because I'm a Gemini and that's my personality. I can kind of 
get through that and not have an issue with that. Whereas someone who tends to be maybe of a different type of, of personality might not be able to cope with that super intense head high. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's an excellent point, Shell. I think it's personality based. You know, what, what type of person are you? I agree. I absolutely agree. And that's something that, um, you know, you can take the effects of something and I know breaking it down to sativa and indica is way too simplistic, but it's the language that we know right now. And it's the best way that we have at the moment to describe things. But just because you know that a sativa tends to make some people anxious and in your head, that's not to say that that's exactly how it's going to affect you. I think one mistake people make though, is they'll try something and it won't work for them. And they assume every other thing is going to affect them the same exact way. And it's not. Exactly. There's so many differences. Like you and I have talked about reaching for the high THC reflexively, and that's not always going to work for me or you or anybody. Sometimes you need that very low THC and high CBD flower, or sometimes you're going to need something that that has different properties and THC isn't necessarily the one that's going to work for you. And you can try so many different things. Maybe if smoking flour isn't for you, maybe you want to, to dab a concentrate, or maybe you want to use a type of vaporizer or dry vape the herb. There's so many different ways to do it. Maybe you need an edible. It's amazing how many things this miraculous plant can help with and just to have fun with, hang out with your friends with. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have fun, your back doesn't hurt. Win-win. For me, it's my back. I know it's not your back. You have other, <laughs> other things. No, today I am pain-free and I am smoking just for the sheer enjoyment of it and hanging out with my bestie. Exactly. Woohoo! Yay. And I have a story for you. What is your story? So I was thinking about you coming out here to visit and I was thinking about how we'd been talking about folklore specific to places lately. And so I started to look into local legends and folklore around here. I did find a spot brimming with creepy tales that's not too far from me at all called Turnbull Canyon. And, you know, as I was looking into it, I I was quite surprised to hear that something called the landlocked Bermuda Triangle, yeah, also called a gateway to hell and a psychic black hole was about an hour away from me. How fun oh my is that? God, all of those things. I love them. Let's go. I'm always the person who's like, let's do it. Let's go do it. Yes. And these are three fun things all rolled into one. So it's down here in sunny Southern California and it's over near the foothills. It's in actually the foothills of the Palomar Mountains, which is just about 20 miles east of Los Angeles. So is this like desert or something? It is desert, but the foothills okay. are a little more... Um, verdant. There's water there. And there's a, a spot called Turnbull Canyon. And Turnbull Canyon has a dark and kind of shitty history, much like a lot of places that were contested when people came out West. This has kind of a, a bloody history. And it's one of the few places in the desert that has water. So let's start with the 1800s. The Quakers, you know, we talked about different people moving West when we were talking about Joshua Tree and the Mormons. This is the Quakers coming west in the 1800s, and they moved into the Southern California area, and they found the perfect spot to make a settlement. It was in the desert, so gorgeous spot, oceans of 30 miles away to the west, foothills just to to the east of them, but they had no water. So they looked to this spot called Turnbull Canyon, owned by, well, it wasn't called that at the time. It was a valley near them owned by a gentleman named Robert Turnbull. 
and he owned all the rights and he grazed sheep in this valley. The Quakers approached him several times over the years, but Robert was a well-known drunk, not very pleasant, and wasn't very interested in selling, but he was always interested in hearing how much money they might possibly offer him for this land. Finally, years and years later, they offered him $30,000, and this is in the 1800s. That's, so that translates to like a, a, a shit ton of money now. Exactly. So they paid, offered him $30,000, which is about half of what they had paid for this huge area that they had bought for their town, which was nearby. And it was an enormous amount of money. And and of course he accepted. Because he's greedy. So they move in, they get their water and the Quakers named it Turnbull Canyon in honor of him. And they named their town, which he would not have been welcome in because he was a drunk and they were Quakers. They named the town uh, Whittier after the Quaker poet, John Greenleaf Whittier, which is like the perfect name for a poet, I think. He was a poet and he didn't even realize it. Right. It was born a poet, Greenleaf, Whittier. So they named the town Whittier and they named the valley Turnbull after the man who had been kindly enough to sell it to them. Robert spent the next few years getting drunk and being in and out of jail. And one day he was um, getting absolutely shit faced in his favorite place, the St. Charles Hotel down in L.A. When he couldn't sit on his bar stool or walk in a straight line, he decided it was time to go home. And he hops on his horse and commits the 1800s version of drunk driving. (laughs) (laughs) Tries to get home on his horse, falls off in front of a police officer. My question on that real quick is, isn't this kind of like today's version of like the Tesla that can drive itself? Can't the horse kind of drive itself? Horse isn't drunk. He was so freaking drunk. All he had to do is stay in the freaking saddle and the horse would have taken him home. But no, he fell off in front of a cop. (laughs) So he falls off and the cop's like, oh, no, your ass is going to jail. Hauls him off, puts him in jail for the night. Wow. The next day he gets out of jail and heads home and his housekeeper notices that he is battered and bloody. And he explains to his friends that come over that he must have been kind of rowdy and loud in the jail. And somebody probably punched him a little bit to shut his ass up, knocked him out. And when he woke up the next morning, they let him out. He went home. So his friends are trying to tell him, dude, drinking's going to kill you. This is bad. But of course, Robert Turnbull is not going to listen. Doesn't care. Loves his drink. No fucks given. Exactly. No fucks Turnbull decides you know, he's going to rest up and feel better. Later that evening, his housekeeper notices him acting strangely. He's stumbling around, you know, he's got his pants on, but he's wearing house slippers. He's got like two or three vests on. His clothes are all weird. Maybe he was cold. Maybe she's, they asked if he was drunk when they talked to her about it later. And she said, no, he wasn't drunk, but he was kind of acting like he was drunk. And he's wearing some weird striped shirt, all these vests and a hat. And the weird thing about the hat is it wasn't his hat. It was her hat. It was like some big thing with like trailing black ribbons and big black feathers, like a morning hat or something that a lady would wear. Maybe he actually was more of a cross dresser. Possibly. But, you know, in this case, only the hat and multiple vests, I guess. I don't know. But so he goes stumbling out of the house acting drunk, but not drunk, according to his housekeeper. And that was the last anyone saw him alive. The next day, he was found by a couple of kids face down in the river, dead. 
maybe he, I don't know. Yeah. He was examined by the coroner and the coroner said murder. He was murdered. Why? Was there stab wounds? Nope. Nobody knows. What led them to say murder? I could not find out. The coroner definitely said it was murder, but no motive was ever said. No manner of death was ever said. He was a drunk dickhead. There's motive right there. Right. He was a drunk dickhead. Also, the blow to the head that he had gotten, you know, when somebody knocked his butt out in jail and then continued to beat him up, apparently. Maybe he had like a brain bleed or something. Exactly. And then that's what killed him the next day. Maybe a stroke, maybe, you know, some type of concussion, you know, that's more likely. But the coroner said murder and it was never solved. So Turnbull Canyon was named for a drunk who was later possibly murdered. Now, it's bloody history did not start there. You know, this land obviously was not did not begin with the white settlers that came there. There were native people there. The Tanva people lived there. And in the 1500s, the Spanish colonizers came in and pushed the Tanva out and built a bunch of missions here in Southern California. And uh, in the 1700s, they started the San Gabrielino missions and they started calling the people Gabrielinos and they tried to baptize them uh, and tried to get them to, you know, abandon their ways. Forcing their religion on the native folk. Exactly. Long history of that bullshit. So when the native people rebelled and you know kind of fought back against the fires at the mission these these missions had guards they had soldiers and the soldiers rounded the people up and pushed them into the valley and started opening fire on them um one of the mission's founders a father junipero Serra, said it was particularly brutal massacre and he said quote when the indian men sought to defend the women the soldiers killed several with musket balls You know, it's also reported that they beheaded and tortured some of the men. They took them back to the missions to torture them there, cut their heads off and put them on pikes and put it in the valley to deter the natives from acting up. Wow. Right. That's shitty. That's very shitty. shitty. Where do people come up with this shit? Colonizer bullshit. Whatever the whole idea of we need to take is crap, but different podcast, different (laughs) podcast. So the, the natives named the place, uh, I'm going to see if I can say it right. Hututna. Name the place Hututna. Hututna. It translates to the place of darkness and death. Oh, gee, that's real nice. It's said that their spirits still haunt the valley and you can still hear drums and sorrowful cries out there to this day. Have you been there? Not yet. It's a four mile hike. I'm going there actually very, very soon, probably next week. I'll take pictures and let you know. Well, because I want to know if you actually hear the drumming. I might go there before this podcast airs and I'll see if I can get pictures we can put up. So the the place has like a really shitty aura even to this day. The crap didn't stop there, obviously. In the 1840s, um, the area was fought over during the Mexican-American War and a man named something William. Okay, William Workman was the original owner of the land and he got it during the um, the American-Mexican War. This is kind of in the path of a lot of ground that was used for war between the Spanish and the natives and then the white man Americans. This is like a, almost like a patch of land that was repeatedly battled on. Not necessarily battled on, um, but the, the Spanish did put down the natives several times there. And then in the 1840s, that's when the Mexican American war happened And this man, William Workman, was given that land as part of his um, reward for, you know, the winning the war against the Mexicans. 
Uh-huh. And this gentleman named Pio Pico, uh, he was like the, the main general in that war. And he awarded that land, what is now Turnbull Canyon, to William Workman. William Workman was also a banker and probably very shady. And his bank went under and he committed suicide after that happened. That's when Robert Turnbull was able to buy that canyon super cheap. I gotcha. And so Turnbull kept it. So it has kind of a bloody history from the, you know, the the Tonva there being uh, brutalized by the Spanish colonizers. And then during the Mexican-American War, it was, I don't know if there were necessarily battle sites there, but it was battled over. Then it was given to this William Workman guy who later committed suicide. It was bought up on the cheap by Robert Turnbull, a drunk, who then sells it to the Quakers and is shortly thereafter murdered or died because he was a drunk. And then... That's a lot. (laughs) Oh, yes. Then it gets even worse. Because if this is like the Bermuda Triangle, like the witch hole of the universe, there's got to be more. There's more. In 1952, Flight 416 was flying to Englewood, and it was supposed to arrive at 3.30 a.m. It never showed up. The captain of that flight contacted the flight tower at 3.33 a.m., close to the witching hour, and said that the plane was over the city of La Habra. But that's the last time anybody ever heard from them. The flight tower kept trying to radio the plane, but no one ever responded after that call. Later that morning, around 10 a.m., a rancher in Whittier spotted some smoke coming from Turnbull Canyon and found the wreckage. So it, it seems like the pilot had miscalculated during the fog and was 10 feet too low, and one of their wings stuck struck part of the canyon wall. Oh, shit. All 29 people on board that plane died on impact. And it's said that you can still hear what sounds like an explosion. And people sometimes will call in saying they heard an explosion in the camera in the canyon and nothing's ever found. Um, But there's they'll see smoke. They'll hear people screaming and they'll hear the, the impact of the plane. And that's one of the many hauntings that people, the paranormal events that people talk about from there. And, and, you know, we've talked about how, um, you know, incidents like that can kind of create a replay in time. And it's almost like that accident could replay over and over and over again. And that's where those like ghosts, quote unquote, are kind of coming from because exactly. they realize they're dead. Yep. And the, the Tanva people were just living there when, you know, the Spanish came in and started trying to impose all this stuff on them. And then just to be brutally slaughtered in that place. The, the Tomba said that you can feel that their dark spirits are still there, that the place itself is dark. And so that seems to be like the initial event that kicked it off. And then everyone that owned it afterwards came to some sort of bitter end. And now, you know, a plane crash there that, like you said, is kind of trapped. And then there, it's also been the site of several murders In 2008, Gloria Gaxiola was having a night out with some friends, Abraham Acuna, Matthew Garcia, and Victor Mangi. And the next morning, her body was found at the intersection of Hacienda Boulevard and Colima Road, and she had been shot in the head. Oh, shit. Yeah. They quickly discovered that the three guys had taken her up to Turnbull Canyon and shot her in the head. When they pushed her out of the car, they didn't realize that her foot had caught in one of the seatbelts. So they slammed the door shut after pushing her out, but her foot was still tangled and the seatbelt was now caught in the door and they dragged her body about five and a half miles without noticing. And that's when it was left at the intersection of those roads. 
Oh, Jesus. Those fuckers were her friends and they killed her up there because they were afraid she was going to rat them out for a fucking robbery. Wow. Right? That's shitty. You know, people are shitty. A year later, I'm going to like this joint because people are shitty. A year later, uh, Tuesday, August 4th, 2009, Christina Martinez was found in Turnbull Canyon with stab and slash wounds. She had a four inch slice across her throat, several other cuts and bruises. Yikes. It turns out she had been left to bleed out and die in Turnbull Valley. Left to bleed out and die in Turnbull Valley by Vincent Mendoza, Edward Moraz, and Jose Ayala, who are all men she had considered friends. She managed to climb out of the canyon and get help. Oh, wow. Right? And then March 3rd, 2011, parts of a woman were found, according to the Whittier Daily News, quote, 10 feet deep in an embankment with her left arm missing and her body was heavily decomposed. So basically, people use this as a place to go kind of kill women, apparently people off. Yeah. And I would imagine, unfortunately, I'm, I would imagine that there's probably some more horrific things going on besides them being murdered. Oh, we'll get to that. We're not done yet. She remained unidentified till a little while later, and it was determined that she was Claudia Tkautsin, a 41 year old woman who had been killed by a gunshot wound to the head. Her murder was not solved until seven years later, 2018, when they figured out that it was her boyfriend at the time, took her up there and killed her and then buried her in an embankment. Jesus. So not just the murders, like everyone that goes there feels like the place is, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful spot. It looks like an awesome hiking trail. I can't wait to go. But everyone says, if you're at least a little bit sensitive, you can feel the oppression and the darkness that's in this area. And one of the more interesting legends I found is extremely persistent. It's all over the place. There's this huge legend that satanic rituals happen there and that um, child trafficking happens there and that it's all happens on the site of what was either once an asylum or an orphanage. I can't find any record of an asylum or an orphanage ever having been built there, but the legends are detailed and they're extremely sure and they're everywhere. Let me ask you a question. How many places in Southern California were people doing satanic rituals? Jesus. Well, how many places all over the country are the the freaking gates to hell? How many gates to hell do we have here? I'm serious. Buffy the Vampire would like to have a word. There's only one Hellmouth in the country. The Hellmouth is in Sunnydale, and that's it. That's where it is. (laughs) So... All these rumors are extremely detailed about this asylum or orphanage that was there to the point where the legends are everywhere. But yet you can't find any record of the actual building. I cannot find any record. There is barbed wire fence and no trespassing signs. And people say that there are, they can, the ruins are there, but I can't find any pictures. I can't find anything other than my cousin said, or my friend said, supposedly the story goes that in the 1930s, a mental institution was opened there that took in your usual types, you know, your town drunks, people that were indigent, you know, too poor, the homeless people who had mental problems. They took in anybody who didn't have anyone who could save them from that type of place, basically, and performed all sorts of horrific things on them. Oh, geez. Supposedly, they did all sorts of, you know, lobotomies and trial experiments, you know, the ice baths, electroshock, all the terrible, terrible things that people can do in an asylum. Supposedly, they did. 
It was also either an orphanage or they sold babies of poor people there, like people that would come in that were too poor or had been, you know, taken because they were drug addicts or drunk or some type of um, woman of the night or something. And if they gave birth, supposedly they took those babies and sold them or trafficked them. Shitty. Very shitty. So supposedly it operated about 10 years before it burned down in a mysterious fire. And there's supposed to be ruins there. But again, no pictures, no records. I can't find any records, but the story is so prevalent and people will insist that it's true. And there's urban legends that say that teenagers have found the place and that anyone who ever finds the place like dies in some horrible way. Oh, wow. There's stories people will tell. Of course, it's someone who knows someone who knew someone who went to the canyon at night and saw a satanic ritual or a child sacrifice being performed there. But it's always a secondhand story or, you know, I can't find any any proof, but the stories are thick on the ground. I mean, they're everywhere. Everyone's got a story about this place and they're all bad. And people claim that there's a tree there where you can see if you go at the right time of day, you can either see children who were hung there or a man who committed suicide hanging there and his ghost uh, keeps coming back and the ghosts of these children. That's, that's, that's heavy. I don't like ghosty children because that's sad. No, anything that involves kids is sad. And, and this place just seems to be sad. You know, the men who get involved with it all die in horrible ways. You know, women seem to die there, women and children. A, a lot of it obviously is urban legend, but but there are some really shitty things that happen there in history. And it, it just, apparently that's a place that's holding on to that negative energy. And you can, you can feel it as you walk around this beautiful land. You can, you can feel the atrocities that were done to the people that, that lived there. Well, when so much shit happens in the same place, century after century, it gets like compounded and is like layers and layers and layers and layers of sadness and death and anger and creepy creepiness. On that fun note, I'm going to go back to smoking some more of this lovely homegrown since it's a little bit more of a body high for me. It calm me down. <laughs> now that I'm all anxious after reading terrible things that people do to each other. What, what, what's going to make you anxious is when you actually go to this place. Please, yeah. when you go, make sure you come back. I definitely will. I definitely will. And I'll bring back some pictures and we'll put them up. And I also... Don't, and don't fly there. Don't die in a canyon. Don't die in a canyon. We, we, we wouldn't want that to happen. With people you thought were your friends, but you know damn well they're not good people. That, that's an interesting thing. Like, do people not see the red flags? Do they ignore the red flags? There's got to be red flags. We do ignore red flags, but our brains are wired to accept the demon that we know in fear of the demon that we don't. You know, we, we get so tied up in the people that we think that we love, I guess. I don't know. I don't want to get that deep in this podcast. You know, you know what? I must switch things up a second. For all you listeners out there who are thinking, wow, they're getting super serious and depressing today. You know what? We kind of are. I don't even know why. Maybe it's because it's raining here. I just want sunshine. I have sunshine and it's super depressing. The world is a depressing place right now. The world is a depressing place. Afghanistan, Palestine, Ukraine. There are wars going on all over the place. People doing shitty things to other people. And it's just bullshit. You're right. But we need to, we need to, to be that light in the darkness. 
So I just want to real quick, just get you off of your depressing bullshit. We all know it's true. All the listeners got my back on this one. You're, you're going to smoke someone. I want to divert you. I want to talk for a second about weird habits. Oh, okay. I like weird habits. Tell me. So my boyfriend and I were talking about weird habits the other day. And I said, of course, me being me, you know how I am. I was mm-hmm. like, I don't have any weird habits. <laughs> Do you know you? Yeah, right. And he just looks at me and he's like, he kind of said the same thing. Do you know who you're talking about? (laughs) Have you met you? (laughs) And I'm like, well, what weird habits do I have? Uh, Is it a weird habit to only brush your teeth in the shower to the point where if I need to brush my teeth, I will, even if I don't need to shower, take a shower because I need to brush my teeth. Is that You know, I was going to say it was not weird because I also brush my teeth in the shower, but then you took it to a weird place where you have to get in the shower to brush your teeth. You know, I brush my teeth at the sink. I don't have to take a shower to brush my teeth. It gets all foamy down my face. Like I get drooly like a freaking, like I'm like, how are you brushing your teeth? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I look like I got rabies. Yeah. Like, and then it's all like, no, I have to do it in the shower. No, I, I am also a, a shower te- toothbrusher. It's efficient. I like efficient. My other weird habit is um, can't sleep without a fan. I'm not the only one. I'm preaching to the people, all the fan sleepers out there. When I'm camping is the only other time I'm comfortable sleeping without a fan. If I'm camping, I can sleep. But if I am like in some rando's house sleeping and no fan, it's a struggle. Now for the camping, is it because there's ambient noise around you, like the night sounds of the forest? Maybe. maybe. Or is it because just, you know, you love camping so much? That too. I think it's a combo of both things. I love that. That peaceful resolve, you know. Oh, I know. It's time. I cannot we wait. Need, you know, we winter do. Winter needs to be over. Well, I've been camping quite a bit <clears throat> this year. Nobody likes anybody from California. Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> so I've been camping and I'm loving it. What I'm actually really looking forward to in a big way is festivals. I miss festivals. Oh, my God. I miss festivals. Oh, I cannot wait. Music festivals, pagan festivals. Oh, please, please, please. I cannot wait to go to festivals. You know what I miss? I really miss being really, really, really high at a festival to the point where you might as well not even smoke anymore because you can't get any more high. And then some guy walking up to you and being like, would you like to buy a grilled cheese sandwich for a dollar? And I'm like, I will take five. Grilled cheese sandwiches on Shakedown Street. What a memory. Oh, And it's not like a grilled cheese sandwich from home. There is nothing that replaces a festival grilled cheese sandwich. Nothing, nothing. I can't even, you know, you get a a hippie dude in his white guy dreads (laughs) and selling grilled cheese sandwiches sandwiches out of his cooler to every high motherfucker. Who's got the munchies. Ah, yes. The memories. I do miss that too. I I do miss festivals. I cannot wait to go to pagan festivals this year. My favorite place in the whole world, Brushwood Folklore Center is having- I miss Brushwood. I miss Brushwood. They are opening for festivals this year. So we're thinking about trying to catch one or two and I cannot wait. You know, I know it's across the country, but we're doing it. How great would that be? You know, um, one of the bullshit things about COVID- is things like festivals went away and that sucked. 
It does suck. It sucks so bad. We're starting the movement. Bring back the festivals. Bring back the festivals. I'm just glad that COVID's receding enough. You know, as long as things keep going in the way they're knock on wood, hopefully going right now, you know, we should safely be able to have festivals. And I'm very much looking forward to that. You know, Brushwood, how funny would that be? You know, so, so Brushwood Folklore Center is a clothing optional establishment. So what, like, what would they do during COVID? You can walk around naked, but you got to wear a face mask. (laughs) How does that work? Like, how does that even work? Imagine all these people, clothing optional, you know, some people are just walking around like with, with what God gave them. All their bits hanging out. Yep. All their, all their nitty bitties. Nice and comfortable. And, but yeah, have a face mask on. I would laugh. Like, how do you not laugh at someone who's completely stark ass naked wearing a face mask? You don't. You give that person a fist bump or an elbow bump and be like, fuck yeah, for keeping people safe. <laughs> or a butt cheek bump. You can give butt them a cheek butt bump, cheek bump. Yeah, just <laughs> bump bums. We're bump bump. Bump bump. We're going to bum bump because it's safer. <laughs> Why do people let us leave the house? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not really sure why. <laughs> I do have one final strange habit that that I want to tell you that um, kind of circles back to to ghosty stuff. My my strange habit. I cannot sleep without my feet being covered, like from the ankles down. Like like I could have my whole leg uncovered, but from the ankles down, my feet have to be covered, or I wake up instantly. I could sleep stark ass naked, 90 degrees, nothing on me, no sheet, no nothing. And I have to have my feet covered. When I was 10, my grandfather had passed away, which was very traumatic for me because he was my most favorite person on the planet. Shortly after he died, I think I was still 10. I might've just turned 11 at this point. Every night when I would try to go to bed, I would see my grandfather at the foot of my bed. It was one of those as a young child who just lost their grandfather was, it, I don't want to say it made me happy, but it was it's a somewhat, comfort. It's a comfort. It was a comfort, but it was always at the end of my bed. So it was half comfort and half. I thought the ghosties were going to get my feet. <laughs> so here now, you know, three decades later, what do ghosts have with the end of the bed? I don't know. Like, can we take a ghost poll? If there is any spirit out there in the ghosty land that can hear our podcast, why? Why the feet, motherfuckers? I was spending the night at my grandmother's house. I think I was very, very little. And this house is one that has quite a few stories associated with it. But this is the first one I can think of. I I was very, very little. And apparently, according to my grandmother, I woke up the next morning and came down and told her, that I wanted to say thank you to the lady that had tucked me in. And I described this woman who had come up and had told me good night. And I, and then I went to sleep and, but I didn't know who she was. And I told my grandmother and my grandmother was a little freaked out because I had described her mother. Oh, but this woman had stood at the end of the bed, you know, she talked me in and then stood at the end of the bed and I fell asleep. Why do they stay at the end of the bed? What's up with that? I don't know, but to this day, I still, because of that, and you know, obviously like it was my grandfather. It was not like I was like totally spooked, but something about that, like I can't sleep with my feet uncovered. I, it's like, even now in my mid forties, I'm afraid the ghosties are going to get me if my feet are uncovered. Like, I don't know what it is. I think that's a common thing with, with blankets. We all know every little kid knows the blankets are going to keep you safe. 
you know, I don't care if, you know, the monsters can bite my ass for all I can. <laughs> Just away, not your feet. Stay away, for, stay away from my piggies, man. Stay away from my piggies. You can kiss my ass, just not my feet. Yeah, I guess you do have a couple of quirks. Yeah, yeah. So uh, apparently I did, and, and I was kind of shocked, and I thought, you know, hey, could be worse. I could have way worse, strange, weird habits. But those are Shell's weird habits. So if you ever, if you, if you ever, if you're ever feeling bad about your weird habits, just know we all have weird habits. We all have weird habits. I'm trying to think of any I have, and of course I don't have any. Of course you don't have any weird. I don't habits. have any. You'd have to ask my husband, but I'm sure he'd tell you I have lots of weird habits. I'm too stoned to think of any off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> I had to ask. Don't don't feel bad. I had I had to reach out to to my sweet love to find out what my my habits were. Well, sometimes things are so much a part of our everyday life or, or, or everyday, our culture that we don't realize that it's different than what people do in other places. You mean everybody doesn't brush your teeth in the shower? What's wrong with you people? Right. Not everybody likes Hawaiian pizza. You're all walking around foaming like Wolverine that's rabid. <laughs> Maybe we just all brush more politely. We all do things and we don't even realize that it's different than what other people might do and take, for example, driving through Pennsylvania. And you'll notice in Pennsylvania, a lot of the barns and the houses have what seem to be common to Pennsylvania, pretty pictures and symbols all over them. And they sort of kind of resemble each other. They are actually called hex signs. They are a, a, a Pennsylvania Dutch thing. And they're, they're, they're very, they follow kind of that superstition kind of visual spell if you will theme one i can think of in particular that that is fairly common it is two doves kind of hovering over a heart oh i've seen that usually like on a house or something yeah it, that is supposed to you know bring luck and good fortune to to your marriage and family oh i love that that's so nice there is one that uh has these uh two kind of doves on either side of a shamrock, not a shamrock, a four leaf clover, not a four leaf clover, a three leaf clover, whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And that is supposed to bring luck to the property and to the crop and to, to the owner. So wait, it sounds to me like, you know, obviously a heart is love and a, and a clover is luck. So are the doves like the uh, I know in some, like we talk about the dove of peace or whatever, but are the doves just like the bearer of that energy or like, what does the dove symbolize in that? I think it is because they're very, they're very prevalent in a lot of the hex sign designs. Um, you will see these doves in, don't quote me on this, but probably like kind of half of them. I'm not saying half. Okay. I'm not saying a lot of them. Saying the dove, the dove is pretty common. It's a common theme. And I think it's more of a representation of a vessel. You know, the dove brings you the luck. The dove brings you the happiness. Um, I see. They, I like that. They have ones that 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 kind of symbolize, you know, a good harvest, a good crop, a good a good season with your animals, things of that nature. So so it's almost like symbolized magic. But if you were to go to a Pennsylvania Dutch person and tell them they're practicing witchcraft. Oh, Jesus, Lord. <laughs> well, Lord. that's kind of like Peter Carroll, one of the people who writes about chaos magic, says that, uh, quote, belief is a tool for achieving effects. 
So basically right. that's what these symbols are. People have belief in these symbols and then they, that belief brings about the effects that they're looking for basically. So you're saying they, they have this belief in these symbols. They don't think it's witchcraft. They don't think it's magic, but what they're actually practicing is hedge magic, kitchen witchery or chaos magic. Right, right. But they just are afraid, unknowledgeable, embarrassed, scared to realize, bitch, it's all magic. To them, it's just everyday life. You build a right. barn, you put a protection symbol on it. That's just right. what you do. It's so common to them. They don't realize that it's something else as well. But these these hex signs, um, they, they are a Pennsylvania Dutch specific thing. And some of that Pennsylvania Dutch heritage, folklore, background kind of stems from the, the Germanic Dutch traditions. You know, these, these are things that kind of translated when these folks came to America. But it is definitely something that is specific to that Pennsylvania Dutch culture. And I wouldn't say it's it's necessarily stayed in Pennsylvania. I have part of my family hails from central PA and, you know, my great grandma and my grandma and my mother always displayed these, these hex signs within our house. I grew up with hex signs in my kitchen. Yeah. I grew up in upstate New York. So, you know, I didn't, I, I, I didn't grow up in Pennsylvania necessarily, but because I, I had family roots in PA those traditions kind of stemmed out out of central Pennsylvania. So, you know, people do all around, all around the country still kind of brought that with them, brought that with them based on potentially having um, family ties, family heritage that roots in Pennsylvania in that Pennsylvania Dutch grouping. Now, did your family talk about them? Did they say what they were or were they just there? Did they explain anything about them? Did they ever call them magic or tradition? No, no. Actually, you know, funny, funny story. You know, my, they, they found a lot of symbolism in it. They felt that, you know, let's say the luck one truly brought you luck. The happy home one truly brought you a happy home. But this is also the same side of the family that was ready to, to hang me from the gallows when they found out about me being into to paganism and witchcraft. When they had kind of been practicing that magic all along without realizing it, because to them it was common. It was just something that they did. But when called something new, they were afraid of it. They condemned me the most when I quote unquote came out as a witch. They, they, they definitely condemned me the most and definitely taught me the most magic growing up. How fucked up is that? Yeah, that's wild. That's wild. Because again, they they didn't, they didn't know what it was. They had this, this traditional way of thinking about it and weren't really willing to go outside of that. And, and I don't know, I don't know if you remember back then, but my grandmother was kind of brutal when I came out and my yeah. grandmother, my grandmother was the one that had a hex sign in every damn corner of the place. Right. She was the witchiest of them all. Exactly. But it wasn't called witchcraft. It wasn't called magic. You were just Pennsylvania Dutch. And that's what the Pennsylvania Dutch did, you know? And it was, it was, that's just a Pennsylvania Dutch thing. No, it's magic asshole. Right. But they, but they just, they couldn't wrap their head around the fact that that was actually some hoodoo voodoo shit, you know? 
Right. It's hard for sometimes people to see, especially when it's similar, especially when it's familiar, it's hard to look at it through a different lens when it's good for you to do that. And people definitely should take a step back and look at things through someone else's lens because it it gives you so much more understanding, but it's hard. It's hard, especially for older people to do that. But, you know, really, if you were to take a drive in, in the warmer months, you know, the summer months just suck every, or the, the winter months just suck everywhere, people. But in the warmer months, Not when you here. really want to be road tripping, nobody cares about California. <laughs> nobody cares. But Pennsylvania is a great place to just kind of take a drive. And you'll, you'll just see driving down the road, you'll see barns and houses and, and buildings. And, you know, they can range anywhere from, you know, a 10 inch wide, uh, hex sign to something that's three feet wide. I mean, some of these guys go freaking all out and are decorating They're their beautiful these things. Absolutely. They're absolutely gorgeous. I, I love that it's it's pretty magic. It's yes. it's magic that you can put up in your home and look at it and and have it be part of your decor. Okay, I'm not into the Pen- Pennsylvania Dutch farmhouse decor, but it's very, very beautiful. And people put it yeah. on quilts, they put it on hand towels, they they put it on all sorts of things. And it's giving you that protection because those symbols have so much history and so much, you know, energy behind them that they're still, they still have power. They still have magic. And I, I love that it's pretty magic. And, you know, it, it definitely has that German feel to it. Some of the symbols in, in the symbolism kind of have that German feel because, you know, again, kind of that Pennsylvania Dutch entity for lack of a better word at the moment, because I'm high and can't think of the right word, that that all stems from from the Germanic folklore um, and Germanic culture. So as much as we call it Pennsylvania Dutch, it really does root more uh, going back further into that German culture. And, you know, this type of deep folklore is everywhere. And going back to the modern news, we're seeing that in, in Ukraine, we're seeing that in these women and these people that have these folklore traditions that are kind of like witchcraft, the woman with the sunflower seeds, that is a powerful fucking curse right there. I would yeah. not be pleased if I was that guy. I'd get the fuck out because that's that's a badass curse. Yeah. I know that there are, uh, there's a whole city. There was a whole city. Did you hear about the, the Conatop witches? There was some uh, tanks that went into the city called Conatop. And they were basically laughed at and told they need to get out. And they said, every other woman here is a witch. You're going to wake up and not be able to get your dick hard. Mm-hmm. And, and the guys there were serious. And I guess this goes back to like the 1600s. This place is infamous for having witches who don't take any shit. And, and this type of folklore will is make powerful. Your dick not get hard. Make your dick not work. And that's a powerful curse. And these women, these these people who have these these ties to this folklore, they're not going to take any shit, and they will throw a curse at you if you deserve it. They'll fuck your ass up, man. You know, I am a big believer in you know harm none, not yourself. Try not to harm anybody. But I am also a believer in karma, and, don't fuck and with sometimes me. don't fuck with me. Don't bomb my country. Don't kill people. That's that's shitty. And and. I'm willing to take the consequences of a curse in that case. And it sounds like, so are they, you know, and, and, and that kind of, always, I always used to say about my kids, you know, you fuck with my kids game on, man. I'll go to prison with a smile. If you fuck with my kids, the same concept. 
Exactly. If you're willing to accept the consequences. Yeah. Same concept, same concept. <laughs> and in this case, you know, these people, that woman with the sunflower seeds, the countertop witches, they're willing to take the consequences because it's worth it in this case. It sucks that they're pushed there, but. It, yeah. I mean, it would be nice if they didn't have to have it. Exactly. Come to that, but, you know, but sometimes the world is not fair. The world is not going to give a shit that you're going to turn the other cheek. Sometimes the world is going to bomb your hospital, you know, raise your house to the ground and kill your kids, kill your wife and kids right in front of people. And yeah, you, yeah, with no fucks given. Right. Right. So sometimes, sometimes you have to combat that with whatever you have. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I think that these folks have a deep, you know, in the Ukraine, these these kind of a similar thing you know there's a lot of symbolism there there's a lot of a lot of a lot of their folklore is something that they've turned into their own based on deeper folklore from where they've come from um, I, I guess the easiest way to explain that is the ukraine folk kind of similar to the pennsylvania dutch you know the pennsylvania dutch um the hex sign and and all of that that kind of originates and is a twist on their German roots and their German folklore. And with the Ukraine folks, you know, they have given their own twist and created their own folklore and traditions that kind of go back from, from their roots, which is actually pan-Slavic in that whole Slavic mythology. Right, right. So, so they've kind of, similar to Pennsylvania, they've taken their their folklore from their deep roots and kind of turned it into their own and and you know it, it does kind of again kind of root in that slavic paganism but it's 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 the the what the ukraines have turned their own twist of that you know what i'm saying does that make sense makes total sense like how the Pennsylvania Dutch kind of, they've given their own twist on, on the Germanic roots. Right. Yeah. So they kind of, they've made it Ukrainian. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they, you know, they're big into dancing. This is, I, I, I was looking into this and I was looking into some Ukrainian folklore ever since all this shit started happening and shit started going down, you know, I'm not going to talk about the, the details of the current state of events, but different I just want to say different podcasts. But that president, first of all, he's strikingly attractive all of a sudden. And <laughs> I think part of it is his attitude. It's not all looks, people. It's not all looks. It's his attitude and in, in the way he's carrying himself that is super fucking attractive. He's doing an but excellent anyway. job embodying the big ball spirit of the Ukrainian people, the, the absolute tenacity that they're having in the face of of this horror he's he's doing an excellent job of being an amazing patriot and strength and someone that they can look to we would all hope to have a leader like that but it has created an interest in knowing more about the ukrainian people in the ukrainian culture yes and if for nothing else those folks deserve people knowing who they are you know, and I have found out some interesting things. Oh, do tell, do tell. I love interesting things. I'm interested in Ukraine. Tell me. This very attractive president has piqued <laughs> my interest in the voice in of Paddington Bear. 
right? He's piqued my interest in knowing more about the Ukrainian people. And with the way I am, I always go with the, I want to know about your magic and practices that way. These folks dance like motherfuckers. Did you know that? No, I didn't. They have like these elaborate, extensive ritual, like these dance rituals, but to them, they just call it like dancing around a bonfire, like, like we do at festivals. No, I'd call it dancing around a bonfire. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Not that fun then. Okay. All I can think of, and this is horrible, and I probably shouldn't even say this, but you know, in um, National Lampoon's European Vacation, yes, they go to Germany and they're dancing. <laughs> yes, like like that, more like that than like dancing around a fire at Brushwood. Okay, okay. These 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 motherfuckers dance, and they whereas we might do a ritual where we might do a chant, let's say, they're gonna do a dance. So that, that, that plays a big part in their, in their ritualistic ways, which I found intriguing. Not that I can dance. I can't dance. But their earliest dances were actually circle dances, not necessarily around a fire, but circle dances that, that were directed at poking and prodding their agricultural wishes. You know, oh, So like a lot of early uh, pagan magical things, it was based around agriculture. It was based around feeding people and taking care of people or warring against people based around harvest. Yeah. They, they would dance for harvests, but then, you know, they would dance for weddings and they would dance on holidays that, that were coming up. But here's the weird thing. Ritual dances in Ukraine were rarely performed to music. It was actually, they were dancing usually to a chant. What? So Normally you think of, you think of, of, of people dancing and, and whether it be getting your groove on while you're cleaning or in a ritualistic setting, you, you think music. No, these people would chant and dance to their chanting, well, that's kind of which cool. I found very interesting. Yeah. So that was really for their rituals, but their folk dancing, more of the dancing to have fun and not necessarily in a ritual context, they would do, they would do with or without music. But for ritual, it was without music. It was with just chanting. Which I thought was interesting. But when they were dancing for, say, a wedding or to celebrate a joyous thing, then they would dance to music on occasion. But if it had to do with ritual, no music. So I thought that was neat. I could see that being very powerful. Yeah, yeah. They do have some famous dances, the Arcan and the Hopak. I'm probably saying that wrong and I apologize, but they also had this, these enriched, beautiful, uh, traditional folk dresses. I don't want to say a costume per se, but they would have special dancing dresses. And even today they have several Ukrainian dance groups that actually perform. They even have a, a Ukrainian dance group that performs in Canada And what they try to do is they try to keep that traditional folk dancing alive. You know, Western traditions, you know, the technology of the new world today, not a lot of people are dancing is a, is a ritualistic thing or even as a, a folky kind of pastime thing. So there are groups that are trying to still keep it alive, but I just thought it was really neat. You know, there are a lot of, of, of Western European communities that, that heavily, put dancing in, in their, in their traditions and in their ritual practice. 
And I did not know it, but the Ukraine folk are, are some of those, those folks. Oh, very cool. You know, I wonder if that, uh, if that Ukrainian dance group, um, I believe they're out of Kiev that's in Canada. I hope they're still in Canada. I hope so. I hope they're safe. Me too. Wow. Very cool. That's really neat. So dancing as part of ritual. I like that. But I that. just, you know, I found out some, I just, I just found out some neat stuff. Like I didn't know that. And, you know, I'm not the most agile person, especially as I get older, but I do, I do get, I like to watch folks that, that do these ritual dances and, and these symbolic dances. I do enjoy watching it. I just am not always the most agile person to be doing it but there's power in movement just like there's power in sound just like there's power in voice there's also power in movement these people have 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 figured out a way that their idea of trying to do rituals tied to farming and herding and hunting um in births and weddings and burials if if they're able to to create those rituals around dance and and that movement of energy I think that's super fucking cool. And I just, I, that's something that, that was very new and interesting that I had found out this week about the Ukrainian people. Folklore of, of all sorts of places is pretty interesting. And especially now that's kind of, that's pretty powerful. Definitely. Uh, I don't even know how to say it. I mean, it's all just so shitty. I don't even know, you know, other than donating to some of these refugee places, I, I don't even know what to do. It, it sucks. I hate, I hate not knowing. I hate not really, I hate feeling powerless to do anything. You know, I, I, I think this, I know that there are a lot of places that are taking donations and there's a lot of, a lot of folks out there trying to, to assist people in the Ukraine. I think one of the, the best options I've heard how to get money on the ground to these people as quickly as possible, Airbnb, try to find a Airbnb rental somewhere in the Ukraine book it for the soonest date available and then and then pay for your booking. Obviously you're not going and staying there, but you are getting that booking money in that host's hands right then and there. Um, a lot of these Airbnb folks are uh, utilizing their space to help house people that house their housing has been bombed out and what have you. That is a, a good, option to get money on the ground as quickly as possible, where you know every cent you're sending is going to a Ukrainian household, rent an Airbnb for the soonest a date available. Um, and, and you'll find that the cost of some of these Airbnbs are, are very, very cheap. So anything that, that you are able to do would, would help these people greatly. You know, Mila Kunis has a fundraiser. She's also working with Airbnb. And they're working with GoFundMe and there's several other, you know, that's another place that you can donate to, you know, if you want to help refugees, so many different places, just make sure it's a vetted organization. And again, we'll have links to these and a couple others that we know are good places to donate in case you want to, uh, to help out in, in the few ways that we can, you know, sometimes that's all we can do. You know, we can't, we can't do everything. Um, we can only do so much, but you know, what's money, money is paper. Right. If we've got a couple of bucks, we can send it to these people who just like these people got nothing. Like, what the fuck? How do you wake up and and have that be your shit show for the day? I couldn't even fathom it. No, you know, do little things. We might not be able to change the world, but we can certainly 
help out in our little corner of it. You know, be kind to the people around you. Be good to we your can neighbors. Do something. Everybody can do something. You know, buy groceries for the person who can't get out of their house. You know, go run errands for the, you know, the guy who can't get out of his house down the street or something. You know, help the little old lady next door and shovel her driveway. And just be nice to each other. Send us Snack Factory pretzel crisps. Oh, that would definitely <laughs> be a better place for sure. Well, thank you for listening to the Stoned Witches Hour. We hope you uh, have gotten at least some enjoyment out of our depressing episode today. But you know what? <laughs> you know what? We we just want to let you know, we might have been a little down today, but we, again, we mentioned this in the beginning, we guested on Storytime with Tom and Mike. We had a fucking blast. Those two are awesome dudes. We totally need to hang with them again soon. And... We want you to check out their podcast as well and check out, we will be uh, on their episode March 25th. Definitely check it out. It's hysterical. We had a great time. Yeah. If we've gotten you down, if you're depressed after listening to us, go listen to their podcast, get, get some funnies in. It's definitely not safe for work. Definitely not safe for work. But check us out uh, on Storytime with Tom and Mike and we'll be back next week. Less depressed, still high. And, and, and we'll be having a good time. Tune in next week, episode 13, when we have Tom from Storytime with Tom and Mike at 4.20 a.m. for all things weird, weedy, and witchy on the Stoned Witches Hour with Shell and Layla. Stay spooky. <laughs> Stay high. <laughs>